0: Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences.
1: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter.
2: Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I am your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joining you from the signature at MGM Grand here in Las Vegas, Nevada, for UFC 282 Fight Week. And we have got a lot to talk about. Man, what a week it has been in that mixed my arts. It seems like... You know, current news is becoming old news very, very quickly. Uh, of course, there was the story with James Kraus last week and the UFC's decision to basically uh, prohibit anybody who trains under James Kraus or, or at his gym or is cornered by James Krause to that they're basically prohibited from competing in the UFC going forward. So we're going to touch on that story. It's a big one. Of course, we'll preview UFC 282. We'll uh, talk about uh, a great... UFC Fight Night card that just uh, took place over the weekend featuring Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Kevin Holland in the main event. Awesome, awesome, awesome card. I mean, not much more to say about that. It's great to have a big crowd like the one we saw in Orlando for uh, that particular card. I think it really brought out the best in the fighters and and produced a fantastic card. We've also got a little bit of controversy in uh, the... I guess, MMA space, if you would call it that, with uh, with Ariel Hawani and uh, Patty Pimblett, Dana White. Talk a little bit about that, although not too much about it. I mean, I feel like Ariel did an hour and 20 minutes on his perspective on it. And, you know, Patty has his podcast and they've each got their own side of the story and whatever. But I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, unpack it a little bit for you. If you uh, are unaware of uh, this controversy that's been going on, if you want to call it a controversy. We also have some retirements to talk about. So why don't we dive right in, shall we? We've got... UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Holland took place at the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida. According to Dana White, the highest-grossing fight night in North American history for the UFC, which is uh, obviously big news, and I think a lot of these cities are very excited to welcome back the UFC. Uh, Dana White also mentioned on the podcast with uh, Patty Pimblett that they are looking to do more fight nights on the road. Not necessarily completely cut out the Apex, as there are already some shows rumored to be taking place at the Apex, and I think also announced to be taking place at the Apex at the start of 2023. But I think we're going to start seeing a lot more road shows, so to speak, rather than home shows. We want to call the uh, UFC Apex their their Las Vegas home. But the UFC taking their show on the road a little bit more often in 2023. Seems like that is a foregone conclusion. We've already got uh, talks about... Um, cards going to, you know, we've got pay-per-views in Brazil, Australia. They just announced a card today. that's going to be taking place in London, England at the O2 arena. Didn't end up in a stadium. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. So why don't we just get started with that fight night card, recapping that a little bit about the prelims. We saw Yasmin, uh, I believe it's pronounced Wargi, defeating Estela Nunes. She, Wargi lost that first round. She got knocked down. And then in the second round, completely turned the tables on Nunes and, uh, I mean, she is somebody to watch in the UFC. I think she's only 23 years of age and put on, has put on back-to-back great performances. I think we're going to see a lot more of her going forward. Francis Marshall making his UFC debut after earning a contract on the Contender Series defeats Marcelo Rojo via KO in the second round. He looks like he's got a lot of promise. Very, very well-rounded fighter. Kind of the new breed of fighters that learned all of the MMA skills at once and Seems to have translated to him training under Kurt Pellegrino. Looking like a really, really solid prospect. And I think we're going to see more of him as well in the future. Um, also, his nickname is the Fire Marshal. Not just a play on words, but apparently also uh, works for the local fire department. So kudos to him for uh, doing uh, that job. Which, is of course, requires acts of heroism as well uh, to save lives and whatnot. Very, very noble profession. So kudos to Francis Marshall. Look forward to seeing more of him. Natan Levy looked incredible against Gennaro Valdez. Scores a unanimous decision victory. I gave Valdez, I believe, the second round and gave uh, Levy the first and third. But Natan Levy looked great in the first round, almost got a finish, was landing all kinds of different karate kicks, um, spinning kicks, all kinds of, you know, a variety of offensive attacks, mostly known for his submission game. But it went, you know, goes to show that uh, he also has a lot going for him on the feet. So Natan Levy... Gets it done against Gennaro Valdez. Jonathan Pierce, JSP, defeats Darren Elkins. 30-27, 30-27, and 30-26. I agree more with the 30-26 scorecard. I think that third round should have been a 10-8. But, man, JSP now ranked. It looks like he deserves it and more. I think he's going to be facing a ranked opponent next. I want to go back, actually, to that Levy fight and Valdez before I move on. MMA fighting's Jose Young's after the fight asked Natan Levy about uh, comments made by Kanye West recently. And, you know, unless you live under a rock, you know that uh, Kanye West has been making a lot of anti-Semitic comments. So why ask Natan Levy about this? I mean, Natan Levy is the only Israeli-born UFC fighter. I think also the only UFC fighter that identifies as Jewish. I mean, Jared Gordon, who's on this uh, card this weekend, is half-Jewish, but I, I don't believe that he identifies as being yeah you know, he's not of the Jewish faith if that makes sense he's of course has Jewish ancestry, but Natan Levy is really I, I believe the only Jewish fighter on the car uh, on the in, in the entire promotion and for whatever reason, Jose got a lot of flack for asking this question but just just as somebody who is part of um, who considers himself to be a member of the Jewish faith um, have grandparents that were survivors of the Holocaust and have relatives that died in the Holocaust. Um, seeing the rise of anti-Semitism right now in society is very troubling uh, for someone like myself who saw and heard, I wouldn't say saw, but heard firsthand from my relatives just how ugly it can get and how dehumanizing it can get. We need more people like Jose Young's that are representing us when they're asking a question like that. And less people like those who are saying to Jose or commenting on MMA Fightings, social media, being, oh, what's this have to do with MMA? What's this have to do with MMA? Not everything has to do with MMA when you're asking questions. If you're asking questions that are relevant to things that are going on in society today, that's what a journalist has to do. And Jose Young didn't have to ask that question, but representation is very important. And when we are under siege as a religion, in mainstream media with Kanye West going on mainstream shows and his clips being spread left and right everywhere on, on social media. Representation is important. So I, I, as soon as I saw that Jose Youngs did that, I sent him a private message and said, hey, a lot of people are going to put you down for doing this. Let me just be the first to thank you because we need more people to ask questions that give a voice to those who are being marginalized right now. I mean, let's face it. Right now, we're seeing more mainstream anti-Semitism than we have in a long time. And it's very, very troubling for someone uh, like myself and and people uh, of the Jewish faith. So I want to thank Jose Youngs. I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but uh, that did mean uh, something to me as someone who was covering the event from home and not uh, being on site for it. So uh, I wanted to just... Tip my hat to him. Move on to the rest of the card. Michael Johnson defeats Mark Diakese. 29, 28, 29, 28, 30, 27. The 30, 27, a bit confusing. I thought the first round was pretty clear for Diakese, but Michael Johnson, I love the way this guy throws his left. Just the technique behind it, the power behind it. I've always enjoyed watching Michael ja- uh, Michael Johnson compete. I almost said Michael Jackson. W- w- there is a Michael Jackson in the UFC, so I mean, it wouldn't be that off base. But uh, Michael Johnson, nice to see him back in the win column. Diakese a pretty big favorite in that fight, and uh, Michael Johnson gets it done. It was strange to see Diocchese kind of stray away from his wrestling, which had uh, done good things for him in recent fights. But uh, Michael Johnson had lost four in a row, and now has won, now is two and one in his last three. So uh, kudos to the menace. And his last fight is Jamie Markey, a, a split decision that I think a lot of people thought should have gone Johnson's way. So it's good to see him have uh, something of a late career renaissance. Clay Guida defeats Scott Holtzman, who retired after the fight, said he was going to retire prior to the fight. Um, You know, Scott Holtzman may not have been a, a household name, but I really have enjoyed watching his career. I actually thought that he won that fight from a criteria standpoint, but that's neither here nor there, close fight. The reason why I appreciate Scott Holtzman is early on, when I started covering the UFC, I was always looking for stories, and uh, his manager, Danny Rubenstein, reached out to me and said, you know, Scott used to be a semi-professional hockey player. I think that, you know, TSN could do something with this. And I said, yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. So he set me up with Scott, and uh, I sat on the phone with Scott for like about an hour just talking about his career in hockey and transitioning over to mixed martial arts. He's just a nice guy. And I I think I've only covered maybe one or two of his events on location. I know I was at the Rochester card, if I recall. He was on—oh, sorry, it was actually the Newark card— that uh, he was on that I covered, and uh, UFC 229, which card? Oh yeah, that was the Connor card. Yeah, so and uh, I must have interviewed him after that when he defeated Alan Patrick. So was there for two of his cards, um, and I've I just always really liked the guy. I think he's a really stand-up guy. Got to meet his wife and kid, who was uh, adorable, and uh, just I wish the guy all the best in retirement. He was very good to me early on in my career, and I always remember stuff like that. Uh, Angela Hill. And I should also give a shout-out to Clay Guida. Before I was even covering MMA, uh, when I was uh, a guest booker early on in my career, he came He came to a, a bar in the outskirts of Montreal. It, it, actually, you know what? Not only did he come, he, I drove him in my Toyota Prius. It was me driving. Sitting shotgun was John Jones. This was in what year would this have been? This was before, way before Jones was even champion. So this would have been, let's see. I would guess, probably in 2009. Maybe 2008. So we're talking about 14 years ago here. But John Jones is riding shotgun in my Toyota Prius. Um, and in the back, back seat was Clay Guida, his manager, John Fosco, and uh, John Jones's uh, I believe either fiancé or girlfriend at the time, uh, Jesse Moses. And we all crammed into my Toyota Prius and drove like 30 minutes to this bar in the outskirts of, uh, of Montreal. It was right before he faced Diego Sanchez. So that's how I can tell when this was. So let me look when he faced the eye. I've got his page up here. Yeah, would have been an 09. Right before he uh, had that Hall of Fame matchup in the UFC Hall of Fame. Himself and Diego Sanchez. One of the uh, the all-time great fights. So he also holds a special place in my heart. I'll say that too. It's not just hot sauce holdsmen. Angela Hill defeats Emily Ducati and she looked tremendous in this fight. She was an underdog here, and you would not have known it from watching this. This was one way traffic for three rounds. I almost felt bad for Emily Ducati. She's the favorite there, and Angela Hill was just put on a clinic in that fight. So kudos to Angela Hill, who gets better like you know, is aging like a fine wine in this sport. She's thirty almost thirty eight years old, which for women's straw weight. You tend to slow down and you know it's harder to win fights. She looked better than ever in that fight, so kudos to Angela Hill. Philip Rowe defeats Nico Price. Uh, this was not the fight of the night, but could have been. Uh, had it not been for the main event, which we will get to. Awesome fight. Philip Rowe gets the uh, win in the third round. I think he was, you know, if that would have gone to the scorecards, it could have gotten dicey. But uh, he didn't let it get there. He trains out of Orlando. This was uh, an event that honored the V Foundation and uh, Rose awareness for cancer research. And Rowe's money for cancer research. And Philip Rowe's mother right now is battling cancer. So I'm sure him winning in his home city or the city where he trains with his mom watching at home probably meant the world to him. So kudos to Phil Rowe. I feel, feel happy for the guy. Don't feel great that Nico Price lost. I think he just welcomed the sixth child onto this earth. So he probably could have used uh, a Fight of the Night bonus. Rowe wouldn't have been eligible for the bonus. So probably wouldn't have helped him much if it would have been Fight of the Night anyways. Eric Anders defeats Kyle Dawkus. Man, Kyle Dawkins looked like he he rushed his comeback. He uh when he fought Roman Delize, I think he broke his was it his orbital bone or something like that? Like they were talking about a really bad injury that he had. And uh he came back really quickly from that, and uh Roman Delize was actually fought the fight after him. But uh yeah, he looked really flat in that fight, and Andrews uh, took advantage, scored his first got, I think it was his first middleweight finish in like seven years or something like that. It was since he finished Tim Williams, yeah. Not seven years, but uh, how many years ago would that have been? Four years? Four plus years? First finish uh, as a middleweight. So nice to see Eric Anders get a finish in that fight against Kyle Dawkins. Roman Delize, this guy, I wouldn't say he stole the show, but up to the point where he fought, stole the show because uh, he was an underdog against Jack Romanson. This guy just looks better and better. And uh, he credits Michael Bisping for saying the guy's not hungry enough for the finish. And that's all he's been doing since then. So. Kudos to Roman Delize gets the finish on Jack Romanson with some incredibly uh, creative technique that uh, you don't really see very often. I forget what the name of it was. Uh, Luke Thomas was talking about it on his show, but basically neutralized Hermanson to a point where he couldn't defend himself. And uh, stopped him from being able to move. Uh, Just really, really beautiful technique from Roman Delidze. And he is in the win column and is now ranked, so kudos to him for that as well. Sergei Pavlovich defeats Tai Tuivasa 54 seconds in the first round. I mean, this guy's a problem. This guy is just outside of his loss, which is his lone career loss to Alistair Overeem. He has the shortest average fight. You have to have five fights to qualify for this. But he has the shortest average fight time in UFC history right now. 54 seconds against Tui Vasa, who I believe was top 7 or something going into that fight. Derek Lewis was definitely top 10 when they fought. 55 seconds. 4 minutes and 3 seconds. Shamil Abdurakamav, the longest in terms of uh, UFC fighters that have lasted, in terms of how long they've lasted against him, outside of Overeem, who I mentioned before, who actually beat him. Um, 2-11 for Maurice Green. That was back in 2019. And Marcelo Gome one minute and six seconds into the first round. So this guy's just on a tear right now, and uh, he is absolutely in the title mix. Where is he ranked now? I'm going to just pull up the UFC rankings here because I imagine that he is uh, ranked probably pretty high now in the heavyweight division. He is ranked... Hang on. Sorry, sorry, sorry for the delay here. Number three now, ahead of Curtis Blades in the heavyweight division. So we're talking Francis Ngannou, Surreal Ghan, Stipe Sergey Sergei Pavlovich. Those are like the top four guys right now. So he is really making a name for himself and standing out. Looked phenomenal in that fight. So kudos to uh I keep saying kudos to everybody, but hey, I mean congratulations. These guys are doing great in their careers. Mateusz neck Nikolau defeats Matt Chanel via KO. Second round. Nicolau on the rise and is now a free agent. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up, I imagine. With the lack of promotions that have a flyweight division, although he could fight at 35 somewhere, um, I think that he will probably be back in the UFC. I think he's still in the rankings at at the moment. And um, he is currently ranked... Yeah, I mean, he's in the top five now. Ranked number five. So, um, Mateus Nicolau probably will stick around if I had to guess. Co-main event, Rafael Dos Anjos defeats Brian Barber Reyna. Neck crank second round. Uh, dos Anjos, I mean, this guy... Breaks the record, broke a bunch of records, but the most notable is he's now has the most cage time, over eight hours of cage time, the most in UFC history. And Dos Anjos, you know, he was very realistic. You heard my interview with him on the interview edition last week, talking about how he realizes his championship days are behind him. He's all about exciting fights now and putting on a show. And uh, that's what he did in that fight against Brian Barberena, so... Rafael dos Anjos is in the win column. Did he end up getting ranked at the welterweight? I don't know, because he would, he would have been in the... He's now in the welterweight division. Nope, not ranked. I probably would have ranked him after that, to be honest. Ahead of, like, maybe Daniel Rodriguez, Michelle Pereira. But uh, either way, nice win for RDA. Not that the rankings mean much to him anyways. He see says, like, he's not even concerned about the championship picture anymore. He just wants to have fun fights. And speaking of fun fights, that's exactly what this main event was. Steven Wonderboy Thompson defeats Kevin Holland. Corner stoppage between rounds four and five. This was an awesome fight, but I think it really... Let's talk about Kevin Holland here because it seems like a lot of people are ripping the guy. What I'm curious about with Kevin Holland is, and I should ask his manager this, is he getting a flat rate? Because I think at this stage in his career, I don't know how many UFC fights he has, but it's probably at least 20, I would guess, at this point in time. Probably close. One, two, three, four, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 fights. Now, fighting the likes of Hamzat Shemaev, getting new contracts. If he's getting a flat rate, he just faced Hamzat Shemaev. And, I mean, let's be real. He got destroyed in that fight. And it was short notice, yeah. But... I think he realizes now, at this stage in his career, especially in a division that's very grappling-heavy, like you have the likes of Kamaru Usman, uh, Colby Covington, Bilal Muhammad, Gilbert Burns. I think he realizes that he's just going to have fun in there. He's going to get paid lots of money. He's going to do main events. If he's on a flat rate and he's not getting a win bonus, I cannot fault him for wanting to just fight like that and have fun and try to beat Stephen Thompson in his own game as a personal challenge for himself. I just can't. Because if, if he doesn't, if he's doing this because he likes to make money, he wants to fight often, he wants to be in fun fights, he would loved this this Thompson matchup, he claims got him took him out of retirement, although his retirement was, I mean, his, his fight before this was September the 10th. So between September the 10th and December the third, he had retired and unretired. Talking about, you know, less than three months. <laughs> Plus he had a fight camp. For Stephen Thompson, this is a main event, so it's been known about for a while. I mean, if he's not making a win bonus and he wants to fight like that, I can't fault the guy. Let him have fun. He doesn't need to shoot for takedowns and, and make it a grappling match. If he isn't, if he's more concerned with trying to beat Thompson at his own game and entertain the fans, that's one way to look at it. Sure, is that is that kind of overlooking the competitive nature of what happened? I mean, I mean, of his career. I mean, listen, he, I'm sure he wants to win. But if he's not getting a win bonus and he wants to be in fun fights and get a fight of the night bonus like he did in this fight, more power to him. If that's the way that he wants to look at his career from kind of a business standpoint and say, I want to fight the way I want to fight, I want to have fun, I want to make money. Are you going to fault him for that? I mean, it took a, it took a lot of damage in that fight. I mean, that's the problem with it in this situation but this is only his first ko loss ko or tko loss in his career first one not like he's been taking a ton of damage in there but he seems to have had a gentleman's agreement with stephen wonderboy thompson they weren't going to take each other down when it got to the ground uh, on a slip in the first round he welcomed stephen wonderboy thompson back up he was beating stephen wonderboy thompson the first round rocked him with a big shot So, uh, you know, I can't fault the guy if that's the way he wants to operate in his career. Can you? Seems like people are. Could he have fought better? Could he have taken it to the ground and grappled? I mean, he's a Travis Looter BJJ black belt. Definitely could have done something on the ground. But he wanted to do it his way. If he's fighting for show and win, probably not the best move. But if he's getting a flat rate and he wants to keep being in fun fights, the UFC will keep him. Even if he loses five four five straight, as long as he's putting on entertaining fights. Fans like him. That's what matters. So awesome fight. I mean it's if you haven't seen it, you should just go watch it. You don't need me to recap. It was one of the best fights of the year. Essentially, four rounds on the feet. Almost like a kickboxing match. A little bit of grappling here and there, but not much. And uh Wonderboy Thompson made some great reads kept at his ideal distance, was uh, evasive, elusive, was a throwback performance for Wonderboy Thompson, who still wants to be champion one day. But I think he also wants to be put in these fun stand-up fights. So if I'm the UFC and I'm looking down the rankings, you look at the welterweight rankings right now, Wonderboy Thompson's number six, ahead of Jeff Neal, who uh, Wonderboy defeated. It's hard to figure out who to put him against. That. My uh, my suggestion was Masvidal. And uh, when Wonderboy was on with Ariel Helwani on Monday, it seems like Masvidal is on his mind. And I think that would be a great fight for both guys right now. I think that Masvidal wants to get back into title contention. I think Wonderboy is a much safer fight than him, for him than anybody ranked ahead of Wonderboy. Burns, Bilal, Hamzat. He's already fought Colby. Already fought Usman twice. He wants to fight Leon Edwards. If he were to come out and and have a like knockout Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he could get an expert like he could skip the line. If Leon Edwards wants to face him, it's the reality of the situation. We're talking about fight promotion; they want to make money. You know, I think Masvidal has squandered a lot of his goodwill by uh, you know not being quite as active as he could be, and also falling short in his uh, his big opportunities. We have very short term memories in the sport. People are starting to forget about the fact that he's the BMF, that he beat Nate Diaz, that he knocked out Darren Till, knocked out Ben Askren, and probably the most spectacular knockout ever. Or one of them. So, I think that would be an awesome fight Wonderboy versus Masvidal. But I don't want to see Wonderboy face Shalvkot Rachmanov, although Rachmanov deserves a chance to move up into the top six, seven right now. He's facing Jeff Neal next anyway, so. If he beats Jeff Neal, he'll move up to number seven. Neal was ranked ahead of Wonder Boy prior to this past weekend. So let's see how it plays out. But uh, I, too, would like to see Wonder Boy in exciting fights. Now, before we preview UFC 282, let's talk about this story that has become something a regional story here in Canada because the provinces of Ontario and Alberta have stopped accepting wagers on UFC events. And this is a big, big deal. Not just in Ontario or Alberta. This is, has widespread ramifications for this sport, particularly for the UFC. We found out on, I believe it was on Thursday, that Ontario, they put out a release saying that they were no longer going to be taking any wagers. So I proactively went to all of the different provinces' sports books, the ones that offer single-game sports wagering. I noticed that BCLC, which oversees the sports betting for British Columbia, Winnipeg, and Saskatchewan, still had offerings of UFC events. I went to au Jeu, which is Quebec's sports offerings. They still had the UFC. I went to Alberta. Nowhere to be found. So I contacted their. Um, I believe it's called the A G L O, something along those lines. A G C O, A G C O, I think. The Alberta. Let's see, is it A G C O? Yes. No. A C G O. Alberta Gaming. Let's look. At, let's let's look it up. Alberta Gaming. And Liquors. A G L C. AGLC, Alberta Gaming, Liquor, and Cannabis um, Commission, contacted them, and they confirmed that they, as of December 1st, which was the day prior, the Thursday, they had decided to stop accepting wagers on the UFC as well, just like Ontario. They didn't put out a release or anything, but they took it off the board, and they refunded any pending wagers. Now, the UFC, that same day as the Alberta News then put out a statement regarding James Krause. Which reads as follows. Following the fight involving Derek Minner on November 5th, 2022, UFC was informed by sources that suspicious betting patterns had been observed on the fight. In the weeks following the fight, the UFC has been cooperating with multiple ongoing government investigations into the facts and circumstances surrounding that contest. On November 18th, the Nevada State Athletic Commission informed UFC and Minners coach James Krause that Krause's license was suspended and would remain so while the NSAC, Nevada State Athletic Commission, conducted an investigation into the matter. Now, this is the important part. UFC has since advised Krause and the respective managers working with impacted fighters that effective immediately, fighters who choose to t- continue to be coached by Krause or who continue to train in his gym will not be permitted to participate in UFC events. This is important pending the outcome of the aforementioned government investigations. Further, UFC has released Derek Minner from the organization. Now, the reason Minner gets released is not necessarily because of this situation regarding sports betting. He did not declare any injuries on his medicals, which is a big no-no, and he got, I believe, fined fined or suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission as a result. So the UFC very well could be cutting ties with him for that reason. Now, where there's smoke, there's fire, but I I don't want to speculate on this. And the other important part is that this James Krause thing isn't a full-on ban. It says, pending the outcome of the aforementioned government investigations, which leads me to believe that the investigations are not closed. They're still looking into the situation. I would hope that Don Best, which is the UFC's betting integrity partner, are looking into it as well or have got some information on it but at the same time uh, one thing that happened was the back in october the ufc issued a memo and added to their code of conduct that there was a notification for fighters and members of their teams this is on the ufc page that they and certain other defined insiders were prohibited from wagering on ufc events and I think it's pretty clear that with James Krause doing a betting podcast, doing a Discord, doing a YouTube channel, the optics of that are not good. I can't say for you know factually that he was putting on wagers or anything along those lines. But if people are paying $50 on his Discord for picks, did he stop giving picks? Because if he's giving picks, that's insider information. If he's a coach... And he's on location with the UFC and he knows about the fighters and he's got, he's tapped in. That still falls under that insider statute that they added to their code of conduct. So that's a big deal. And even if the investigation you know, doesn't find any wrongdoing or proof of any wrongdoing is probably a better way of putting it. Because clearly something happened with the number going up that crazily in the hours leading up to the fight. Something happened. I mean, as much as if anybody wants to deny that, then I mean, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd like to sell you. Something happened. The a massive amount of money had to have come in. The line moved like a dollar and forty cents. It's ridiculous. So to think that nothing happened here and it's a mere coincidence, I think is. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 you'd have to be drinking the Kool Aid to believe that. But I'm not going to come out here and accuse James Krause of things that I don't know. That he did. Like, I don't know that he that on the fight. I don't know that he provided inside information. I don't have any evidence of that. That's for the investigation to determine. So, we also found out that Jeff Molina is out of his fight in January. I don't know if that is to do with this. But, uh, Jimmy Flick has a new opponent. A very good opponent, if I recall. I, I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head who it is. Oh, it's, um, uh, the dude who fought, uh, Muhammad Mukhaev, Charles Johnson, who was the LFA champion. Solid matchup. And I like Jeff Molina. I like a lot of the guys that train at glory at MMA, uh, MMA and fitness. They're good dudes. Molina, Julian Marquez, like these are salt of the earth guys who I like a lot. And I've even, I've even had good experience with James Krause. I, I don't know the guy all that well, but he helped me with the story that I did on him, his uh, fight against Trevin Giles where one of the judges had a clear bias. So, I, uh, you know, I have a decent relationship with James Cross as well. But, uh, you know, Jeff Molina and Julian Marquez, I, I really like those guys. They're just really nice, nice guys. And I, I hope that whatever happens with them and whatever happens to anybody training at Glory MMA and uh, fitness, that things uh, turn out well for them. But I'm not here to point any fingers at James Krause. I don't know the situation. All all I'm reporting on is the facts. And that's the way it's going to be. So that's where we're at with that. We had a big retirement in the sport. Former WEC heavyweight tournament champion Brandon Vera retired. And while that's true, we also had T.J. Dillashaw. That was the bigger news. But not that Brandon Vera is not big news. Former one championship champion. At one time, considered one of the hottest prospects in the UFC. But I'd like to focus on T.J. Dillashaw here for a moment. Now, I put out a story. You know, I had a source that told me that uh, he had, in fact, not retired. And I got that one wrong. And it happens from time to time. I had more than one source. I messed up. And uh, it turned out that he had, in fact, retired. But then I put out a subsequent tweet the following day saying, if I was in TJ Dillashaw's spot, if I was like a a fighter who was pretty well off, had a championship career or, or close to a championship career, and I was in my mid to late 30s and got injured in the fashion that Dillashaw has, I would do what he did. I'd retire. Because in the Usada's in Usada's um, agreement with the UFC, in the hand the the guidelines, it says that anybody who is under contract is, you know, subject to the anti doping program. In order to not be subject to the anti doping program, you're either no longer under contract to the UFC, or you have retired. You've informed the UFC of your retirement, and then you are no longer in the testing pool. And if you would like to re-enter the testing pool, you need to be tested for, in most cases, six months and have at least two negative tests. Now, a lot of people took this to mean that people should, you know, get out of the testing pool, go on performance-enhancing drugs, recover, and then come back. And I think the reason for that is because it's, of course, T.J. Dillashaw, who was... You know, had admitted to using EPO and was suspended by USADA. Now, it's kind of unfortunate because I don't want to conflate those two things. I understand why people do. But I want to just look at it as a fighter at this stage in their career under these circumstances. So let's forget the fact that it's TJ Delshaw. Of course, that's what leads everybody to think that I'm advocating for doping, (laughs) for people to have a faster use drugs that are gonna lead to a faster recovery, come out of retirement, re-enter the pool, and then compete. I mean, they would have to be clean for six months. Again, these are USADA's guidelines. Let me make that very, very clear. It's Usada who has allowed for this to happen, and if a fighter chooses to let the UFC know that they are retiring. Then they are no longer in the program. That's the guidelines. And the reason why I said that I think it's a good idea for fighters at this stage to retire is because if you don't know whether or not you're coming back, if you don't know how your recovery is going to go, if you don't know that you're definitely going to be able to resume your career, why subject yourself to filling out your whereabouts wherever you go anywhere, being subject to being tested round the clock, if you want to focus on your recovery, you want to spend time with your family and you don't want to have to think about whether or not you're going to come back at that stage for like a couple months. I don't think there's any harm in retiring and then not worrying about it. Because I believe that the pro- the anti-doping testing is very very intensive. You know, they uh, require a lot of people, especially those that don't know if they're going to be con- continuing to compete. Like, there are guys... We saw John Hathaway make his comeback. I think he was away for the cage for, for eight years. He fought on the regional scene. He had been tested since the start of the USADA partnership with the UFC. We still see guys like Travis Brown and Sheldon Westcott. Like, these guys haven't fought in years. There's, they have to fill out their whereabouts and get tested all the time because they, I guess they want to keep their doors open, but I, I personally don't understand it. Like, if I'm one of these guys, if I'm Sheldon Westcott or whatever, or, or Travis Brown... Why not just retire and say, like, hey, tell the UFC, hey, I'd I'd like to leave the door open to coming back, but I don't want to be in this program anymore if I don't know if I'm going to fight again. Now, I don't know what the UFC would say, and I know that those guys are not exactly parallel in careers to TJ Dillashaw. I'm talking more about, like, a Tony Ferguson. Like, if Tony Ferguson was in a fight and he snapped his leg in half. And he said, I don't know, like the doctor said said to him, I don't know if your leg is going to be the same. I don't know if your knee is going to ever be able to stabilize the way that it used to. You may not be able to fight again. Why stay in the testing pool? Like, why not spend time with your family, recover, do what you got to do? Now, then people are saying, well, you're just telling people that it's okay if they take performance dancing drugs. Hey, listen, if they're retired, they can do what they want. If a guy's been retired from the UFC for eight years and they're using like HGH or something, or some sort of legal, any sort of legal um, substance that is banned by USADA, you're going to fault them for that? They're free to do what they want. They're retired. And again, they're following the guidelines put forth by USADA. So I just wanted to make it very clear that that is the way I feel about it. Now, if I were to give you $100 and say, you need to to bet on whether T.J. Dillashaw will ever fight in the UFC again. There's no line for this. It's not a real betting, but I'm just gentleman's agreement. hundred bucks you put on the table. Are you betting on TJ Dillashaw turning 38 in January? Or is it 37? Sorry, I think it's 37 in January. Let me just double check that. TJ Dillashaw is turning 37 in January. So do you believe that TJ Dillashaw will never fight in the UFC again? I would bet that he would. I think that T.J. Dillashaw's is a competitive freak, and I think he will, will do whatever he can to compete in the UFC again. Now, whether his injury is so bad that he's not ever going to be able to compete again, we don't really know. And that's why I think in that situation, if you retire, I think it's fair game. Even if you think in the back of your mind, I, I'd still like to come back and compete again. So that's all I'm saying is I think we need to be a little bit more empathetic. Now, again, with T.J. Dillashaw, it's a little bit of a different circumstance given his history. And I understand that. and I recognize that. But I'm just saying that under these circumstances, I can understand why a fighter would want to retire. And consider that to be a viable option. Now, in regards to T.J. Dillashaw himself, I was talking to uh, my colleague today, uh, Alex at, uh We were at the UFC Apex today for media. And I was talking about how, if you were to look at it based on just talent alone, I think if you asked most people who was the greatest bantamweight of all time, they'll say Dominic Cruz. I think that Dominic Cruz had a, you know, he had a lot of inactivity in his career, but I mean, in terms of what we saw from him, I can understand people giving that answer. But from a talent standpoint, man, TJ Dillashaw is really underrated. Like T.J. Dillashaw put an absolute beating on Henan Barrow on two occasions. And that hasn't aged quite as nicely. But at that point in time, people were talking about Hennan Barrow as being the pound-for-pound best fighter in the sport. If you don't think that I'm telling the truth, then you've got a short term memory. He had been unbeaten in 33 straight fights. Unbeaten in 33 straight fights. Think about that for a minute. And that was in what year did he lose to Dillashaw? He lost to Dillashaw in 2014, May 2014. So he would have been 27 years old. So you're talking about a 27 year old who was unbeaten in 33 straight fights. Like, do you know how crazy that is? That's absurd. And T.J. Dillashaw beat him badly in those two fights. Now, of course, since then, Brow's fallen off a cliff. One and six since those two losses to Dillashaw. But I've just got to say, Henan Brow at the time was one of the scariest guys on the planet. And I think he was like a 9 or 10 to 1 favorite against Dillashaw in that fight. The first fight. Might have even been favored again in the second fight. This was a scary, scary man, and TJ Dillashaw handled him. Yeah, he was Brow was minus nine ten in the first fight. Dillashaw minus two hundred in the second fight. But Henin Brow was a beast, and Dillashaw then had that really, really close decision loss to Dominic Cruz. Came back. Beat Asun Sao, who was uh, his only his second UFC loss, a split decision loss to Asun Sao, another very close fight when he lost that first one. Then he beat John Lineker. And John Lineker, I mean, he's still a beast. But back then, John Lineker was one of the scariest guys in the division. And then Cody Garbrandt, who was then undefeated at the time, and, you know, again, hasn't aged that much. But at the time, Cody Garbrandt, undefeated, nobody could touch this guy. And, uh, coming off that massive win over Dominic Cruz, the career best performance for him. Beats him twice in a row. And uh I just think TJ Dillashaw from a talent standpoint might be the greatest bantamweight we've seen. I I I don't think people respect his career enough. Now is it tainted of course by his uh performance enhancing drug um positive test? and admitting to taking EPO for the pseudo fight, which he said he did because he was having trouble making it to fly and still maintaining energy. A fight that he subsequently lost in 32 seconds, I mind you. But he came back after that suspension. Hadn't fought in two-plus years, and he beat Corey Sandhagen in a really, really close fight, and Corey Sandhagen is legit, legit, legit. So I just think we need to put some respect on TJ Dillashaw's name, regardless of, of course, the the little, you know, the, the black mark on his anti-doping record. T.J. Dillashaw was a beast, and uh, I think he had a great career. And I always loved talking to the guy, too. I, th- I always thought he was very sincere. You know, he had a reputation for being something of a jerk among, I guess, some of the fighters, but he was always great to me. I always loved talking to T.J. I always remember walking away from T.J. Dillashaw interviews and saying, wow, that was that was really good. He's uh, just very sincere, very honest, and I also think that when he was popped for performance enhancing drugs, he was, he copped to it. And, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you know, he should admit to it. He was, You know, he cheated, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people just will point to something else and be like, oh, yeah, tainted supplement, blah, blah, blah. He owned it. And I think that in 10 years from now, when he wakes up in the morning, he looks in the mirror, he'll be able to be proud of what he's accomplished in his career. And he'll be able to say to his son, Bronson, that... You know, I did I did something wrong, and I owned it, and I think that that's an, a valuable lesson to teach uh, your child. So, whether we see TJ Dillashaw again, I don't know, but for now he is retired. <laughs> it's what an MMA retirement is. For now, he's retired. Every retirement should just have an asterisk that says "for now," because I wouldn't be shocked if we see TJ Dillashaw back in the cage in like a year and a half. But I don't know. We'll see time will tell and if you want the story for how I got that one wrong I can tell it I mean I, you know I try to be an open book here on the podcast and uh, the, the, the radio show essentially like I said I had two sources and uh, I was on that day I was doing a lot and I hadn't seen that Ariel Hawani had repeated uh, had reported that he had retired so when I tweeted out that I I thought that uh, you know what my source had told me People were like, oh, it's a journalist war. Who's going to get it right? I had no idea Ariel had reported that. And in fact, I actually sent Ariel a message and was like, hey, I'm not trying to undermine your report. I didn't even see it. I I apologize. And, uh, you know, he was cool and whatever. He took a bit of a shot at me on on his show today, but, you know, I probably deserve it. I didn't didn't get it right. It happens. But... uh, Neither did, neither did Mike Bond. And him and I talked about it today as well, you know? Like, we took a bit of an L on that one. It, it happens. But, uh, you know, if you feel like your sources are reputable and you have more than one of them, you should go with it. And uh, that's what happened with me. It is what it is. But I, you know, I own it. It's, it happened, and it is what it is. Now, let's jump into UFC 282. Because I think that this is a... Uh, Interesting way to end the year. To me, like I mentioned to Adam Catterall, who's in town for, uh, for BT. Hadn't seen Big Cat in 13 months. I don't know why I call him Big Cat. I don't know. I don't think anybody else calls him that. I tend to come up with nicknames for people and just call them that, like, without them understanding why. But Adam Catterall, to me, is... Him and Ariel Hawani are, like, 1A, 1B for the best interviews in, in MMA. Like, Adam Catterall, it does... Unbelievable work. So kudos to Adam. If you don't know Adam's work, because uh, I know he's really popular in, in the UK. He's like uh, when Alan Partridge came to a. Uh, oh no, who was the? Uh, what was the movie where they? There was a show where like a French comedian comes to America and tries to make it, and nobody understands his sense of humor. But uh, if you're not familiar with Adam Catterall's work, he's unbelievable. You should watch all of his interviews. I always do. He's somebody that I really, really look up to. In terms of interview skills he's unbelievable but enough of me uh showering that man with praise i mentioned to him today that it felt like it was like a european pay-per-view like the kind of your Euro- the kind of pay-per-view that we'll be seeing in march in in at the o2 arena it's headlined by two baltic fighters you got jan bachowicz and uh Ankolaev ankalaev from poland and from dagestan you've got a co-main event with patty pimblett against a guy who ordinary, ordinarily wouldn't be in a co-main event on a pay-per-view and Jared Gordon. You've got Darren Till against Drike's Duplicy. Duplicy, of course, fought in KSW, a very popular Polish promotion. You've got Ilya Tupuria from Spain. You've got Jairzinho Rosenstreich from Suriname, which I think is actually in Asia. It's actually in South America, my mistake. So, let disregard disregard me uh, mentioning Rosenstrike. But the, if you look at the main card, I think there were a lot of European or European adjacent fighters. So it kind of has kind of a European feel to it in terms of the the card. And those cards tend not to be as stacked as other cards. But this one happens to be at in Las Vegas. It looks like Paddy Pimblett is uh, getting a lot of eyeballs these days. And uh, I spoke to him today. You'll hear that interview later on in the show. He talked about how he feels it's going to be like a like a home game for him. Like fighting in London. Now, before we get into this card, while I'm mentioning Paddy Pimblett, let me take a little bit of a, a left turn here. Paddy Pimblett has a podcast, and uh, Dana White was a guest on his podcast this week. And much of the podcast centered around... Uh, a situation with him and Ariel Hawani, of course, Dana White, who uh, does not get along with Ariel, and I think that's uh, putting it politely, was uh, enjoying Patty the Baddie's, you know, taking shots at Ariel. And what this stems from is Patty the Baddie, um, his manager, Graham Boylan, wants Patty to, and I think also Molly McCann, to get a fee for doing interviews and Ariel was talking about how, you know, as a journalist, you can't pay people to do interviews. It's not, you know, it's not ethical. And he's never, he, he claims that he's never had any fighter ever asked for an appearance fee outside of this one instance. And also, you know, he, he pro- provided receipts. He had a a voice memo from Patty Pimba being like, you know, I'm in town, I'd love to do something with you, you know, hit me up, I'm doing uh, this podcast, blah, blah, blah. So Ariel followed up you know Ariel wasn't didn't request the interview it basically Patty came to him and said he was available and then he went through Patty's manager, who subsequently said, "Well, you know if you know Ariel's working' doing work for b t at the time if b t wants to do something, let us know what the budget is, and we'll see what we can do and Ariel, I think took great offense to this because a the idea of giving a fee to an athlete is not something that uh, he Um, believes is ethical and that you know most journalists would agree that that's that not not common practice and then further to that he he said patty came to me you know i don't know why he's saying he'd like to do something with me and then you're saying he needs to be given a fee so that's basically the crux of the story now i'm not here to take sides you know like it's I I do think that that is a little bit of a weird move, and I I don't know if Patty necessarily knew that his manager was going to ask for a fee. I don't think that him and his manager conspired to make money off of Ariel. (laughs) Like, you know, maybe there was something that was, there was a disconnect. I mean, Patty basically gets his schedule from his manager and does what is asked of him, and I'm sure that he's happy that he's making extra money. Now, I don't have a problem with Patty Pimplett asking for money for interviews. Like, that's the thing about this is, like, Paddy Pimblet has a massive reach already. He's already become a star on really being authentic and being somebody who people feel like they can relate to, which is a very rare trait that very few fighters have and that they're able to capitalize upon. I think he's got 2 million followers on Instagram, something along those lines. This guy's built his brand. So in my opinion... If he wants to demand uh, a fee for interviews, more power to him and his team. Like I interviewed him today, if he, that's part of his fight week. Um, I, let me make this very clear: as part of his fight week media obligations, we didn't pay him a cent, and nobody who speaks to him this week—that's uh, that's a UFC rights holder—will have paid him anything. Might, I, as far as I know, I, I would be shocked if they did. Let me make that very clear because I don't want people to see me interviewing Patty and be like, oh, this guy opened the checkbook. Not so. But if that's the way that he wants to, you know, if he's so in demand that he feels like he can demand a, an appearance fee, so to speak, hey, let him do that. That's fine. I don't think that there's an issue with that. There's nothing, no ethical problem with him demanding that. I think what Ariel's upset about, and this is where I think the big, the big disconnect is, I think Ariel's upset about Patty reaching out to him and saying, hey, I'm available, and then this appearance fee thing coming up after the fact. And then I guess what happened was Ariel kind of mentioned on Pat McAfee, has anybody ever asked you for an appearance fee? And I guess people put two and two together. Like you never said, Patty Pimble asked me for an appearance fee. People kind of put two and two together. I guess they saw Patty was in New York and he wasn't on Ariel's show. I'm not exactly sure what happened or how the, uh, the Sherlock Holmes... On social media, the detectives figured out that Ariel was referring to Patty, but either way, it became pretty apparent that uh, Ariel was talking about Patty Pimblett in that situation, and that's what Patty took offense to. So I would say that uh, that's probably where both of them went wrong, <laughs> and that's why this is an issue: is because Patty broached the issue with Ariel and said, "Hey, I'd, I'd like, you know, I'd like to come on your show," and then the the mon- you know him wanting to be compensated came up and Ariel took offense to that. And then Ariel kind of, you know, mentioned kind of in a coy fashion that uh, asking Pat McAfee, which has a massive platform, have you ever had a guest ask you to get paid? And for whatever reason, people put two and two together and Patty got all these messages from people being like, Ariel's bad nothing you. And I don't think that, you know, Patty Pimbley went and even watched what happened on Pat McAfee. I think that enough people mentioned it to him on social media that he it became his truth. So both guys feel slighted. And that's when things can go off the rails. So I don't think that this is going to be a situation that gets repaired. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, Ariel, I think, spent an hour and 20 minutes talking about it. It seems like a lot of people are on his side on this one. I try to be Switzerland in all situations and just be neutral and kind of present both sides and why I think both of them are upset about the situation. I'll see Ariel this week here during fight week. I'll be talking to Dana White tomorrow. I spoke to Patty Pimblett today. You can call me Tabo Cephalosha, the Swiss Swiss sensation, because I I don't like to get involved in these kind of uh, quandaries. They can sort it out among themselves, but does seem to be a pretty hot-button conversation, so thought I'd touch on it before we go any further for the UFC 282 preview. But let's get into it. UFC 282 takes place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Can't quite see it from my window, but it's nearby for me. Right now, like I mentioned, I'm uh, currently in Las Vegas doing the show. It is headlined by Jan Bojovic and Magomed Ankalaev for the vacant... Light heavyweight championship of the world. This, of course, stems from Yuri Prokashka injuring his shoulder. The UFC offered Ankalayev to Glover. Glover said, I don't have enough time to prepare for this kind of an opponent. I believe he's a southpaw, more of a wrestling-based uh, opponent. And said, I'll, I'll do it in Brazil in a month, but I can't do it in Vegas on such short notice. Can, can I fight Jan Bojavich? And they said, no, no, we want Magomed Ankalayev to be one half of this main event. Uh, Glover... Declines. Bojovic and Ankalaev stays together as a matchup. Gets elevated to the main event. Now five rounds. Bojovic finds out when he lands in Las Vegas that he's going to be fighting for the title. I mentioned Dana White was on Patty Pimblett's podcast and uh, kind of started off by talking about this situation. Said that to share is the number one contender. Said that the promotion is still going to kind of look at Yuri Prokazka as the champion, even though he'll be on the sidelines. But... At the same time, also felt like they, you know, they they feel like there's going to be anywhere between two and two to three light heavyweight title bouts before Yuri's able to even continue uh, his career from injury. So the the division will move along, and when Yuri's ready, he will get first cracks of the title. And Glover will get the next shot against the winner of this bout. Because the time is ticking for Glover. He's 43 years old. So, Bojovic versus Ankalaj. This is an interesting matchup because I think Bojovic, I mean, I, I spoke to him today and he just seems dialed in. Like, he's, and he's got, he's very, very skillful. He's got that Polish power they talk about, although I think it might be a little bit overstated. If you look at his career, and you look at, again, this is a light heavyweight, so a lot of there are a lot of finishers at light heavyweight. His win distribution is as follows 29 wins, nine by knockout, nine by submission, 11 by decision. So while he does have the Polish power, it's kind of been harnessed at this stage of his career. Where if you look at his what is it, six most recent wins, two are by KO, two are by TKO. So four of those nine knockout wins have come. In the last two and a half years, sorry, three and a half years. So the the legendary Polish power seems like it's a more of a newer phenomenon in his career. But I digress. Enkolaev was one second away from having a nineteen and zero record. Lost to Paul Craig in his UFC debut at th- four minutes and fifty nine seconds of the third round, tapped out to a triangle choke in a fight that he was otherwise winning since then he has not lost he has won 9 in a row and now he will be taking on Jan Bojkovic. this is a uh this is a really solid fight i mean it was a solid fight when it wasn't for the the title and was on the main event uh sorry it was the co-main event so now it gets 5 rounds i'm looking forward to it not as much as i would have been looking forward to yuri versus glover but we can't always get what we want and obviously uh It's a really tough situation with Yuri suffering such a a debilitating injury. We also came to learn from that that same podcast, uh, Dana White mentioned that people at the gym tried to uh, fix the the dislocated shoulder and put it back in the socket. And he urged fighters going forward, if this happens to you at a gym, go to the hospital. UFC will take care of the fees. Don't let some guy at the gym pop it back in because they could do further damage, which is apparently what happened here exacerbated the damage. Now, I I, I think, you know, Ankelaev, of course, is the favorite in this fight, and I think that uh, he is the rightful favorite. I think that it's going to be a tough matchup for Bojovic. But at the same time, Bojovic has a really good array of chokes. If Ankaleyev is careless at all with the takedown, can get choked. I think on the feet, it's fairly even, and Bojovic has that power, that great equalizer. But so does Ankelaev. He's got a lot of power, too. And Ankelaev has been a freight train of late. So I think it's uh, understandable why he's favored. The co-main event, Patty Pimblett against Jared Gordon. This is a really fun fight, and I think the the progression they've been giving Patty Pimblett in his career thus far has been perfect. They're matching him up against opponents that are on the level with him right now, that he should be able to beat. And I want—I think they want to keep elevating him. But Jared Gordon is not going to be an easy out. This guy's tough as it comes. He's got a great motor got great cardio he's won four of his last five and i think that uh he's gonna give patty Pimblett a tough fight patty Pimblett thinks he's gonna get a first round finish i personally do not i think it goes into later rounds and uh i think jared gordon's gonna give patty Pimblett everything he can handle in that fight, and uh, the thing I really like about this fight, and I, I speak to uh, both these guys, you'll hear uh, those interviews later on in the show. You'll hear interviews with uh, Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon, probably should have previewed this at the beginning, but uh, I guess I'm just a rank amateur. Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon, Raul Roses Jr., and uh, Jan Bojkovic. I spoke to the four of them, and you will hear those interviews right here on the show. really enjoy speaking with them. Now, I think that uh this is uh going to be a, a really solid matchup. I think that this is really good competition. But the thing that I really like about it, as I was saying before, is that both of these guys are really really big advocates for mental health awareness. Jared Gordon for, you know, helping those with alcoholism and uh both of them with, you know, suicide prevention. And I think that whatever the result of this fight is, that both of these guys have a bigger fight ahead of them than they can battle together, which is raising mental health awareness, helping prevent suicides, helping with alcoholism. And I think that the two of them together can be a force in that particular field. And both of them agreed with me when I mentioned that to them today. So I think that is the other storyline for this particular matchup that uh, people should be shining a light on because it's very, very important. And both these guys have saved lives. I mean, it's no other way to put it. Both of these guys have saved people's lives. And uh, that's more important than whatever they do in the cage on Saturday. They saved someone's son, someone's brother, someone's sister, someone's daughter, someone's mother, someone's father. Someone who means something to to a group of people is still with us today because of those guys. So important to remember that. Alex Morono, Santiago Ponzinibbio, 180-pound catchweight fight because Morono took this fight on a couple days' notice. And uh, saw. I saw Santiago Ponzinibbio today. He looks like he's in good shape. And uh haven't seen Alex Morono just yet, but he's always game. Always love watching him compete. He's got an incredible motor. Eager to see this matchup. I think that... Uh, you know, Morona's uh not, not that big of an underdog here because Ponza Nibio's had a bit of a rough goal lately. He's since coming back from an uh, recovering from an injury, one and in three. Most two most recent fights split decisions. So he's fighting top guys close, two guys that were ranked, Michelle Pereira and uh Jeff Neal, both ranked guys, split decisions with both of them a win over Miguel Baeza, who was previously, I believe, undefeated. Big prospect. Um, was he undefeated prior to that? Or had he... T- Let me see. I want to make sure. Yeah, he was previously undefeated. 10-0 going into that fight. And Li Jinglang, uh, he got knocked out by in his comeback fight. And we've seen Li Lang do some pretty good things since then, so... I think this is a really good fight. I think this is a good litmus test to see where Morano's at. Um, he is not ranked. Um... And then again, neither is Ponzinibbio. That surprises me. Neither of these guys are ranked. But uh, I think this is a really solid matchup. And uh, I think it's going to be the motor of Morano versus the power of Ponzinibbio. I think if Ponzinibbio catches Morano with something big, it's going to be tough skating for him. But I also think that Morano has shown... his He's got great cardio, great striking, um, very, very durable fighter who um, is very, very versatile as well. Darren Till returns to the cage. He last fought in September of 2021 against Derek Brunson. Only fought once a year in 2020, once a year in 2021, and now once a year in 2022, as uh, this is the 2nd last card of the year. He'll be taking on Drikas C. And C is a beast. 17-2. That fight against Brad Tavares, like Brad Tavares' chin must be made up was just absolute granite because he was taking some monster shots from in this shot in that fight. And if Duplay C hits Till with some of those shots, like man, Darren Till is in tough. This is a tough comeback fight for Darren Till. You look at the middleweight rankings. Du- Duplay C fourteen, Darren Till is ten. But Duplay C, I think this guy's got so much talent, and this is going to be a really, really interesting test. Only twenty-eight years old, turning twenty-nine in about a month's time. He has a win. Um, over Roberto Soldich who just made his one championship uh, debut on the weekend in a very anticlimactic fight that ended with a groin strike. But uh, one and one against uh, Roberto Soldich who uh, many people consider the, the biggest free agent in uh, in MMA this year. I, I mean, Chris Cyborg is currently, I believe, a free agent, but yeah, at least one of the biggest free agents. So I am very eager to see this fight because Duplacy just throws hammers. And Darren Till's got great counters and great timing. And I think that could be the difference maker for him. I think that if, if Duplacy isn't careful and, and over, over commits, he could get tagged and, uh, and put away by the scouser. Bryce Mitchell versus Ilya Tapuria is another really, really intriguing matchup. That's in the featherweight division between... Two ranked guys, Topuria ranked 14, Bryce Mitchell ranked 9, respectively. Bryce Mitchell looked phenomenal in his last fight against Edson Barbosa. Like, absolutely phenomenal. Definitely career best. Still undefeated, technically. He lost to uh, Brad Gatona in an exhibition on the Ultimate Fighter. Brad Gatona, of course, the brave CF champion right now. But uh, Ilio Topuria... Also undefeated, 12-0. Had a bit of a rough go against Jai Herbert, moving uh, up to lightweight, and is now back down at featherweight. Had a a tough weight cut um, when he was supposed to be facing Charles Jardin and had to pull out of the card as a result. Back at featherweight, where he is still ranked against Bryce Mitchell, and uh, this is going to be an absolute barn burner. Mitchell gets into the ground. I think that's what's going to make this fight interesting. But I also think that Bryce Mitchell's striking has gotten really, really good to a point where he can probably hang with with Toporia on the feet. I think it's gotten that good. And, um, I mean, he was hanging with Edson Barboza on the feet, so I don't think I'm I'm um, speaking out of turn by saying that. I think Mitchell is going to be a tough out for anybody going forward. And, I mean, Toporia also, he's undefeated. Showed a little bit of... Uh, of Vulnerability in that last fight. Of course, that was fighting up a weight class, so maybe you give him a pass there. And he still got the win. Prelims. I believe they changed the order here. I think Raul Rosas Jr. is now the main event of the prelims against Jay Perron. I spoke to Raul Rosas Jr., as I mentioned earlier. This is an interesting kid, man. He's still in high school. He was talking about, I we was talking to him about the food. He's he talking about how his favorite thing in the cafeteria is pizza. I'm like, the cafeteria? I'm old enough to be this guy's dad. That's scary to me. But he was there with his actual dad. His family, his parents were there. His brother was there. He's he's pretty mature for his age, but I mean, he's also 18. Like, you can tell that he's an 18-year-old kid when you're talking to him. But when you're watching him fight, you know, when he was 17 and was on the Contender Series, this is a kid with a lot of well-rounded skills, and you hear his training partners talk about him, and they say that this guy's got a real energy about him. I'm eager to see what he can do against a guy like Jay Perrin, who's in a pretty tough fight. Like, this isn't a layup by any means. Rosas Jr. hasn't fought the best competition. I mean, the, the best guy he fought was a guy he fought on contender series, and he fought him tough. And it, I believe he was a short notice opponent, if I'm not mistaken. But this is this is the real deal for him. 18 years old. Let's see. Sink or swim. Jarzinho Rosenstrike taking on Kyle docus Uh oh, sorry, Chris Dawkins. Sorry. Kyle Dawkins lost this past weekend. We talked about that earlier in the show. This is a fun one, Jarzinho Rosenstrike versus Chris docus because can the boxing of Dawkus, which is really, really good, um, compete with the the kickboxing skills of Rosenstreich, a former kickboxer? And, uh, you know, both these guys have a lot of similar strengths. I think if Dawkus can surprise Rosenstreich and take this to the ground, that's where he'll have his best success. I think on the feet, Dawkins is as, as, as tough as they come, and he can put anybody out. He's got quick hands. But Rosenstreich, I think, uh, you know, striking is his bread and butter, so... It's going to be a, a tough matchup, I think, for Chris Dawkins here. But I think if Chris Dawkus... I, I would never just write off Chris Dawkins. I just think this guy's got phenomenal hands. I think he's quick. I think um, the thing that would concern me is, you know, after that loss to Derek Lewis, like, what's his durability like? And that loss to Curtis Blades. Got knocked out by Curtis Blades. The fight didn't go to the ground at all. And he lost to Curtis Blades. And Curtis Blades was hanging with him on the feet. So, interesting matchup here. rosenstroik is coming off of back-to-back losses as well over also Curtis Blades and uh, Alexander Volkov. He uh, suffered a knockout against Volkov back in June in the first round, which uh, hasn't really happened to him, I don't think, aside from his Nganu fight, of course. uh, Those are the only two times he's been finished in MMA. Edmund Shabazian, Dolce Lunjambula, Edmund Shabazian, uh, of course, left uh, Glendale Fight Club and is now training at Extreme Couture under the great Eric Nixik. He has lost three in a row, but a uh, tough competition. Derek Brunson, Jack Hermanson, Nasruddin Imovav, all ranked guys. And he had beaten Brad Tavares, who was uh, ranked at the time. That was his last win back in two-plus years ago. Still only 25 years old. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. Um, they're giving him a little bit of an easier matchup this time in Dolce Bula, who has lost three straight and uh, has only one win In the past three years. Uh, Or sorry, two years. Um, He has won in four in his last five. I think this this fight is tailor-made for Shabazian to get back on the horse and uh, regain some of his confidence. But if he's unable to, and Dolce wins, I don't know what that means for Edmund Shabazian, who at one point a lot of people were talking about like he was a a future champion. I think he has a lot of proving to do right now coming off those three losses. And again, against tough competition, so it's hard to fault them. You're facing facing guys like Jack Hermanson and Derek Brunson at like 22 years of age, 23 years of age, whatever it is, like, those aren't easy matchups. So I, I'm certainly not writing off Edmund Shabazian right now. Chris Curtis, Joaquin Buckley, this is an awesome fight. Opens up the uh, televised prelims, I believe. Uh, I think there was actually a revised bout sheet that went out today. So I'm not 100% sure about that. But this is a fun one. Uh, I think the volume of Chris Curtis against the accuracy of Joaquin Buckley and the power of Joaquin Buckley is going to be the story here. Curtis is very, very durable. And I think that if if his chin holds up, he's going to be able to outpace Buckley over the course of three rounds. Chris Curtis was actually in one of the corners this past weekend. I think it was in Delice's corner. If I'm not mistaken. And uh, this guy just loves MMA. He's recording podcasts. He's you know very active on social media. I I, I think he's a great ambassador for this sport. Let's uh, zip through these early prelims. Uh, Billy Quarantillo, uh, or Quarantillo rather, is uh, taking on Alexander Hernandez. Uh, Quarantillo a, a small favorite in this one, and I think he should be. But Alexander Hernandez, this is his featherweight debut uh, in the UFC. He previously fought at featherweight, I believe, regionally early in his career. But um, returning to featherweight for this one, and uh, this is going to be an action fight. I, I, I love this matchup. I can't wait to see where Hernandez is at in his career if uh, the move to featherweight is the right move. But if it depletes his chin, Billy Cornetillo is one who's going to be able to take advantage of that. TJ Brown taking on Eric Silva. TJ Brown uh, trains mostly at glory Fitness uh, MMA fitness, so he's got a lot going on in his life, I'm sure, but uh, also getting a short-notice opponent in Eric Silva. Um this is an interesting matchup. Venetia Salvador, who I believe was a standout on the Contender Series, looked great in his fight, taking on Daniel Da Silva, who is, uh, I don't know, if has, has Da Silva won? I don't know if Da Silva has won yet in um, in the UFC. What's his record? Let me take a, take a peek. Yeah, he is 0-3. In the UFC losses to Jeff Molina, Francisco Figueiredo, and Victor Altamirano. And yeah, Salvador looked awesome against Shannon Ross on the Contender Series. I think this guy is uh, could be a problem in the flyweight division. Nicknamed Phenomeno. And um, that should be a fun one. And to open up the card, Cameron Simon, who was uh, on the Contender Series as well, is taking on Steven Coslow who has uh, one of the better nicknames in MMA, which I'm, what is it? Shinobi the, oh, Obi-Wan Shinobi the Pillow. That, no, that's a nickname right there. Obi-Wan Shinobi the Pillow taking on Cameron Simon. Both guys, 6-0. and Cameron Simon, this guy is uh, 21 years old from South Africa. Looked awesome on the uh, Contender Series. Eager to see what he can do in the UFC at such a young age. And I don't think that Kozlo is uh, that old either. Let's take a look. Let me just double check that. Yeah, Kozlo, 25 years of age. So this is going to be a fun fight to open up the card. Greatly looking forward to it. So uh, eager to see how everything goes at UFC 282. That is the card. And this is the second last card of the year. We also have Bellator 289. I almost just zipped right through Bellator 289, which is an awesome card as well. So let's touch on that. I mean, this podcast is going to be quite long today. And um, I would apologize, but I'm sure if you're listening to this, you love MMA and want to hear about it. So can't apologize that much. Main event, Ralfion thoughts against Danny Sabatello. I interviewed both these guys last week. If you heard the interview edition of the TSN MMA show, I enjoyed speaking to both of them. And you can go back and listen if you haven't heard to uh, last week's interview edition to check it out. I loved the interview with Danny Sabatello that I did. Very proud of it. So uh, I would recommend you listen to that. Stotts is a small favorite. I just don't know where Sabatello is going to beat Stotts. I think that if Sabatello is able to implement his game plan and get takedowns somehow against Stotts, he'll win this fight. But uh, I just think that Stotts is a little bit more well-rounded than Sabatello. And Sabatello has faced a really steep step up in competition since he's come to Bellator and has thrived and shined. So he's probably been getting better and better. And uh, this is going to be a really fun main event. Juliana Velasquez is favored against Liz Carmouche, the current flyaway champion who defeated Velasquez in controversial fashion Uh, Had her in a choke. Mike Beltran thought that Velasquez was out, I believe, and stopped the fight. Velasquez looked at him like, "What are you doing?" Uh, I think Mike Beltran wouldn't mind having that one back. He's a great official, but you know, they all make mistakes from time to time. Sometimes you see something in someone's eyes that people that are watching at home can't see, and you you make a judgment call uh, in regards to the health and safety of the fighters. So, you know, not refs aren't perfect. None of us are. We're all human beings. Um, I certainly give Mike Beltran a pass for that, but if Velasquez was going to be the rightful winner. Well, you know, maybe she'll win uh, in the coming event here. This fight is awesome. Magomed Magomedov against Patchy Mix. I think Patchy Mix is going to win this fight, even though he's the underdog here. But uh, both these guys are really, really good, really, really talented. And the winner of this bout, of course, will take on the winner of Stots and Sabatello for a million dollars and the interim bantamweight championship of the world. And we'll also get the next crack at the champion, Sergio Perez the disputed champion. I'm going to start bringing disputed champion into uh, into this world. Because if you, there's an interim champion, you are technically the disputed champion instead of undisputed champion. Um, also on the card, Dalton Rasta against Anthony Adams. Denise Kilholtz against Alara Joanne. Jaleel Willis against Kyle Krushmer. That's a fun one. Cody Law against Chris Lencioni. Kai Kamaka back in the cage uh, in Bellator against Kevin Boehm. Mark Leminger against Michael, Michael Lombardo. Christian Eccles against Pat, Patrick Downey. Patrick Downey... Uh, Has an interesting backstory, very fun guy, uh, interesting personality. Cass Bell against uh, Jared Scoggins, the brother of Justin Scoggins. Christina Katsikis taking on Canadian Windsor, Ontario's Randy Field. And that's uh, Bellator 289. Hope you check it out um, if you get the chance because I think it's an awesome card. And uh, there's a lot going on. We've got an Aris FC card as well um, on uh, Thursday. Carl Amosu against Michael Laboot That's uh was it Lebu? Lebu. Aris FC always put on good cards. Um, and my colleague Robin Black calls them. So check them out and uh support my support my colleague Robin Black. He's a good good man. And next week, support me. I will be part of the broadcast team for Unified forty eight. Um, taking place in Mississauga, Ontario. At the International Center. Um, and it's got a a really fun card that uh, I hope you will check out. And I'm really looking forward to being on the broadcast team. I've spoken to a lot of the athletes on the on the card. I'm looking forward to telling their stories and uh, doing something that I've dreamed of doing since I got into covering the sport, which is being part of the broadcast team. So, uh, thanks to uh, my you know my bosses at TSN for uh, giving me the the, uh, the green light to be part of this broadcast team. And thank you to Sunny Serene and. Uh, Robert Beavers and the rest of the team over at Unified MMA for giving me the opportunity. I'm super stoked about it. You'll be hearing about it on next week's show. As well as a preview of the final card of the year headlined by Sean Strickland and Jared Kennedy at the UFC Apex. And then we get to enjoy the holidays. Four weeks with uh, no UFC. We will all be very hungry for it in January. So uh, thank you to everybody for tuning into this show. This has been a lot of fun. But before you go, we got some interviews to get to. So, uh, please stick around. We're going to start off with Jan Bojovic, the former light heavyweight champion, and possible future light heavyweight champion this weekend, taking on Magomed Ankalaev, followed by Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon, and finally Raul Rosas Jr. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I also am going to be speaking with Dana White on Thursday. You can check that out at tsn.ca slash UFC, probably also on the TSN YouTube page. And, um, I might release it as a, uh, podcast as well. Um, We'll see, but get on my social media. Go to Aaron.Report. You can find all the links to where all of my work is. Um, thank you for tuning in. Here are interviews with Jan Bojavich, Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon, and Raul Rosas Jr. on the TSN MMA show. I'm here with Jan Bojavich, who will be fighting for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship, which he formerly possessed, against Magomed Ankalaev. It's this Saturday. I saw you say in an interview, you feel like you gave the belt away for free. What do you mean by that?
3: I don't do uh, in the fight with Glover what I have to do, what I want to do. I just, you know, just, just, you see, if you see the fight, you, you see that I give this belt for free. I do nothing to defend myself to, I don't feel the fire inside me. I just, you know, lost the, the, the fight, but after a bad fight, you know, without, you know, um, this fire, without this uh, warrior spirit. Is, do you have a lot of regrets about that fight? Like, I know... Not you... anymore. No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. i <laughs> stop you. Nothing uh, Not anymore. In the beginning, yes. But now I've got more experience. I use this fight for knowledge, why I feel so bad in the fight, what goes wrong. Uh, So now, I don't think about this fight anymore. Now I've got different, you know, different story. New Jan Bojovic again. (laughs) Couple times, you know, uh, I coming back from, you know, losses. So, yeah, I use this situation to have a good experience.
2: I know you had hoped to be fighting for the title again this soon. But how happy were you when you landed? You were on a flight. You didn't have any sort of access to, uh, I guess, the internet at the time, and your phone was, you know, vibrating like crazy when you yeah. when you got off the plane. Um, how how happy were you to find out about this news? You know,
3: you know how you feel after 10 hours flight. You are dizzy, tired, just want to go to hotel and sleep. When I see this message, I read it four times because I don't believe. I shoot to my coach. He say, "Oh, fuck, we've got title <laughs> shot." Sorry, uh, and we. Are, I just, you know, I was full energy in this, like this, you know, I. OK, let's do it this fight right now, you know, it's title shot, so let's go take our luggage, let's go do some training. So I was excited, uh, happy, uh, and, and, you know, just just pure happiness, you know, that we've got the title shot. OK, I feel bad because Irie uh, has uh, injury, but, you know, we did what it is, I will take my chance,
2: I will use it. Uh, and I believe that belt coming back to Poland. Two more rounds for this particular fight than you were expecting but same of course for your opponent Um, do you think that benefits you more given that you have championship experience although he has fought in five round fights as well
3: yeah but for sure uh, this experience i believe that's gonna be works for for me because you've got only one fight i've got i don't know five something like this so for sure but bigger experience in this uh, kind of uh, situations Uh, and i prefer five rounds. you know i feel better when i've got more time inside octagon for fun so for me, it's like we're back to normal, you know, because for me it was weird when I started to prepare for three rounds battle, you know, that was weird for me. So when it's five rounds, it's okay, I'm ready for that.
2: I saw Magomed, I think it was on either Embedded or one of his interviews, say that um, he was told he was going to be facing Glover, that Glover was going to be offered the fight. So you almost ended up coming in from Poland, getting off the plane and maybe being offered Oven St. Preux or something along those lines. Um, I'm guessing at this point in time it doesn't really matter because you know where you're at, but do you have any thoughts on that situation?
3: You know, if they will fight, uh, if Magomedov will fight with Glover, I will gonna have some fight here for sure. There was one opponent who, who want to fight against me, so anyway I will do some fight. But uh, I don't think about this. I don't care why Glover uh, don't want to fight against me, he don't want to fight. He won't fight against me, he don't want to fight against uh, Ankalaev. I don't care. It's not my problem. I focus about uh, my fight right now about Saturday. After the the fight, you know, I check internet, I will read everything every interviews, uh, and I'm gonna have more knowledge to, to talk about this now I don't have time for this, I've got different, you know, job to do, and oh. is
2: in my head. If you win
3: the championship I wouldn't bother watching all the
2: interviews, I think you could just no, say okay. you know, I'm the champion now. But you know, you need to know what to,
3: <laughs> what to say sometimes, what to answer uh, what to tweet <laughs> If you don't mind me asking, who
2: was, who was hoping to step up and face you on short notice?
3: Uh, I have to ask my manager okay. but that was uh, one one uh, one, uh, one, one opponent who wants to fight against me.
2: That doesn't really matter at this point anyways. Mm-hmm. But I saw that uh, Daria is here with you. It's your second uh, fight with a, uh, yeah. a mental health training yep, coach. Or mental here. training
3: coach. We're still working together. Mm, yeah, she is here with
2: me. And she's working with Jared Gordon as well. And I know that this is uh, something that really helped you for the Rockage fight. So um, what has changed in terms of your mental preparation going into mm. a fight that was lacking before?
3: You know, everything. Uh, she showed me. You know, before I met her, I do... Similar things like I do with her, but I do like you know in the longer way She showed me correct how to do it in the you know like a pro way, you know And also we do a lot of different things like breathing uh, exercise would very help me before training or with the acclimatization so uh, It just helped me you know to be better fighter. You know I am the place uh, Where I when I need people someone like like you like her and you know, and, and it's good just good for me without her I think I will not make this fight with Rakic, you know, because uh, I just don't feel it. With her, I start feeling this, this,
2: again, this energy, this fire inside. And was that part of the process of letting go of the Glover yes, fight? Yes, also. And also, that was uh, something would help me very much. And what techniques were used to do that? Like, is it just a, a matter of looking forward and forgetting about the past?
3: No, she, no, she's got some special uh, fire, special smoke. You know, voodoo style. No, it's just like, you know, <laughs> visualization, talks,
2: breathing, exercise, uh, stuff like this, you know. That's too bad. I was going to ask her right after we finished, <laughs> about this, this fire therapy that you, uh, you I just brought up. Well, anyhow. <laughs> no,
3: it's not. So it's not weird. It. It's just, you know, uh, there's interview with, with her, you
2: know, you need to ask her. About I that. would gladly interview her. I'm always interv- interested in, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the toughest people on the planet that go into a, an arena filled with people and fight to for money and of course for a championship and that they're you know the mental health mental health affects everybody like it's it's such an important thing that people we we look at you at anybody in the cage as superhumans i remember when i first started covering the sport about 6 or 7 years ago i'd stand across from like tj dillashaw or somebody who's like a flyweight and i go oh, these guys on tv look so huge and superhuman and i mean standing across from them, they're just like, they're they're like my size, and it's just, it's unbelievable to me what what you guys are able to do in the cage, but I think a lot of people forget that at the end of the day, you guys are human beings that have a lot of different emotions that go into every single day leading up to the fight.
3: Of course, like everybody, we've got emotion, we are not, you know, terminators, you know, Uh, uh, everybody has emotion, Uh, but you know, you need to, you know, Just face it with your fear and go there and do it, you know, and use this fear uh, to gonna help you, you know, in the fight, in the bad situation, every time it's happening something in your life. So, because every day you've got some situation, maybe not every day, but uh, sometimes you've got this situation that you don't know what to do, you start fearing and you just have to face it and defeat your fear and use this feeling to give you power, you know, and this is something
2: what you have to learn. How's your son doing? I l- when he was uh, young, I remember seeing a picture of him. And he looked like he possessed Polish power. But is he still yeah. big?
3: He's still big. He's growing. Uh, yeah, almost two years old. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun to <laughs> to have him. You know, advent- this adventure is amazing. This time he stay at home with his nanny because you know I've got job to do. Uh, if the fight will be a little bit closer, not you know like ten hours fly and times zone changing, so we will take him. But now we don't take him anymore. So in this kind of you know long
2: trips. Because Does he it's, it's, it's too hard, you know. <laughs> Does he ever watch you train and then emulate you at home? Uh,
3: you know, I. No, he watched me train. He was in the gym with me, but now he he got you know. Uh, he focus about his things. <laughs> uh, one thing what he, he do is that he keep walking. He don't he don't walk He just run, yeah. you know.
2: What do you mean? He just run. He,
3: just he when he's. Stand on his feet. Yeah. he don't walk. He just, he just goes, th- zips yeah. around. He just running all the time, running. You know. Are you nervous when he's running around? Do you no have sharp just, corners I'm, at your house. I, I'm <laughs> happy because you know he's gonna be healthy, good cardio. <laughs> That's good for the beginning. You know. <laughs> all right, absolutely.
2: Well, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, Jan, And uh, best of luck on Saturday. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm here with Patty the Baddies in the co-main event of UFC 282. It's your first time in Vegas, fighting in front of a crowd. Yeah. So what does that mean to you? And do you think it's gonna feel like you're at home?
1: Yeah. I think every fight I have from now on is going to feel like I'm at home. Um, I'm the fan favourite every single time I step in there. It's going to be a quite a bit of a shock for Jared when he walks out in America and probably gets booed. And then I walk out and everyone's singing my name.
2: I think he's not going to be shocked, to be honest. I don't think that he's uh, expecting otherwise to be, to be real. I mean, he, he compared fighting you here... To fighting Charles Oliveira in Sao Paulo, which is where Charles is from, he yeah. feels like he he has that same feeling that he's kind of carried with him into this fight, knowing that that's probably the the mood.
1: Yeah, he's probably right. You know what I mean? It's it's going to be a bit of a mad one for him because he is on home soil. But I'm going to be seated like the the home fighter.
2: And you wanted to fight on this card? It, it was yeah. important to you. Um, New York
1: it's just tax reasons? Is that why you wanted to fight here? Eh, not just tax reasons. Like. Uh, like Molly's always wanted to fight in MSG and I've always wanted to fight in front of a packed house in Vegas, I've always said to it, fight capital of the world and I'm doing it and the way everything's unfolded and all the circumstances have happened, it was meant to be, I mean it really was, because I am the people's main event.
2: Are you able to be anonymous anywhere? Right now, like, is there anywhere you can walk around that people don't don't recognise you, don't come up to you?
1: Not really anymore. No, it's I've been jogging every morning while I've been here, and I'm getting st- people are pulling over in cars and stuff and I'm getting selfies with me and stuff every morning. So, not really everywhere I go now. I get pictures and stuff, but I embrace it. You know what I mean? Without them fans, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have like the following I've got, and I wouldn't be getting paid what I do. So I can't appreciate it enough.
2: There's a bit of a misconception about this fight because a lot of people think Jared Gordon was calling you out and that's why they made this fight. Jared actually has clarified and said you called him out after the, fish, the Chris Fishbowl fight, a, team, a teammate of yours. Um, former teammate. Former teammate of yours. Yeah. Um, that you really wanted to face Jared. Um, so tell me about how that came
1: about. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned it in an interview quite a while ago. I just said I want to get that one back for me team because obviously he's not a teammate anymore and it made us look bad. Like It's that simple. just wanted to get that one back and I think I'm going to.
2: And that seems important to you because I've asked you about other fighters that have, I guess, defeated people on your team before, and you see, yeah. it seems like you carry that with you regardless of weight class.
1: Yeah, we're we're loyal to the soil. You know what I mean? I've been in my gym since day one, and I, I'm not a rat. I'll never go anywhere else. I'm not one of these dirty little gym hoppers that just goes to here, there, and everywhere, trains in all different countries, doing all stuff. I, I, I've got my team, and we're loyal
2: there's this video that was making the rounds of you i'm sure you know which one i'm talking about where you are on someone's doorbell yeah. uh, mentioning that you were going to clean up uh, after your dog uh, but you also use that as a way of talking about how liverpool is a city that kind of has a bad reputation for whatever reason but the yeah. people in liverpool are all about helping each other so i feel like by, by that video coming out it's given you kind of a platform to talk about how liverpudlians help one another. yeah
1: lot. we we look after our own in liverpool lads that's simple with uh we're always there having each other's back and that's just the way it is. I just think it's nice to be nice. You know what I mean? See, so I like to be treated and I wouldn't want to leave a sloppy dog shit outside someone's house for the, the child to step in and then step in the house. It's it's just not me. It's common courtesy.
2: You explained what happened. I As a dog owner, it was, you know, number four of the walk. That that can happen to the best Yeah,
1: it's heavy, lad, as <laughs> I say. People give you diet advice for your yeah, dog? Yeah, people trying to give me diet advice for the dog. <laughs> Madness.
2: <laughs> when you say stuff, people, I guess, want to give you uh the, their insight.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. People... People get on me, trying to give me insight into it all sorts of stuff, which baffles me. You know what I mean? I even have people saying, no, "Oh, you should do this in your fight." Are you the pro? You know what I mean? Are you the professional fighter? Are you part of my team? No. Pipe down, then.
2: One thing I like about this fight, from an outsider's standpoint, in terms of what happens outside the octagon, is both of you have really done a great job of, of raising awareness about specific issues. You about uh, men's mental health and men kind of having an aversion to speaking with psychologists for whatever reason and getting uh, mental, he- uh, mental health mental health. I guess assistance, and then with Jared, he's been really good at helping people that have battled addiction because he battled addiction, and also talking about uh, you know mental health as well. Uh, It seems like the two of you have used your platform um, for that particular purpose, and you have kind of a mutual respect for one another for that reason.
1: Yeah, we do. I've got a, a big amount of respect for Jared for what he does for his community, for what he does for the people around him. Know what I mean? Helping addicts recover and helping people stay on the right track. He's an amazing human being. Know what I mean? What he's done with his life is absolutely amazing, and as I say, outside of the cage, I have so much respect for him, he's, he's a great human, and I just feel bad when I don't have to snap his chin when we do step in the cage.
2: But of course, once that final bell rings and someone's hand is raised, do you feel like the two of you can work together? Oh yeah, we will,
1: we'll definitely do, do some work together on helping people, you know what I mean? Definitely. I, I know for a fact we will.
2: And. You kind of have to have an animosity for your opponent because they're trying to take what's yours in, in a fight, but at the same time, I guess it's always good to have a mutual respect.
1: Yeah, I don't have any animosity towards him. You know, when we last fight, I had animosity towards Jordan Levitt because he was being an idiot, talking utter, utter crap in the build up. Jared hasn't done none of that. You know what I mean? Jared's been very respectful, and I'm the same back. You know what I mean?
2: Now, in terms of mental health, one thing that's grown since you've come to the UFC that was already pretty big to begin with is, is your of course following and, and people having access to you, you said that you had seen some of the comments that Molly was receiving after her loss to Aaron Blanchfield does this kind of stuff ever affect you, do you ever read something that really gets you and sticks to you or you it annoys, to kind of block it, out?
1: it annoys me more when people say stuff about other people close <laughs> to me like my team or my family or my friends, say what you want about me, I don't care, you know what I mean, I push myself into the spotlight for people to do that I don't care when people say stuff about me but don't stay shit about other people like that's one thing I hate about social media it's obviously brilliant it gets our profiles out there it gets our sponsors and stuff but I'm a big advocate for social media you should have to register a card or an ID and if you say something racist homophobic anything along them lines then you get called up on it so you know to remove I mean? the anonymity out yeah, of it yeah exactly world. that's what that's what needs to happen with social media because some of the comments I hate that I see are to are disgusting
2: Well, it's kind of a tricky situation because you you really try to help people in terms of mental health awareness and people talking to people. I feel like a lot of people that are really kind of beaten down from a mental health perspective try to take the happiness from others and try to go online and and write things that make themselves feel better about their situation. So it's almost like a weird dichotomy of of (laughs) wanting people to get help as well.
1: People who sit there and comment stuff about other people's lives have got sad, hateful lives. You know what I mean? the disgusting, despicable people, and they need to l- have a look in the mirror before they comment on other people, d- other people's lives. who are doing something positive and helping motivate people and make the world a better place.
2: Isn't that something you'd like to improve, though, to help those people? Speak to somebody that can offer them the help that they need. Yeah, of course, but
1: I've got no sympathy for trolls. All
2: right. Yeah, I was just curious because I, I, think it's. Oh, I've got, kind got of no sympathy that for trolls.
1: like the dirty, horrible, disgusting pieces of shit.
2: All right, well, I'm not trying to uh, be an advocate for the trolls or anything. I just feel like a lot of people that have things that are not going well for them in their lives channel negative energy in, yeah. into their, those platforms, which I think is something that... They're just wrong-ins.
1: Absolute wrong-ins.
2: All right, finally, Jared Gordon, this particular matchup. What do you think is going to be your best path to victory against somebody with his skill set? Because you guys are, are kind of similar. I think that you, you'll have the power advantage. He's really quick, especially for a lightweight. Where do you think you have your best success in this fight?
1: Any way at once. I think I've got better striking, and better jiu-jitsu and better wrestling. First round? Yeah.
2: All right. Well, looking forward to it as always. Always a pleasure and speaking that, with you. And all Thank the best. Take care.
1: Jared Gordon is in the co-main event of
2: UFC 282 against Paddy Pimblett. This is a fight that you've wanted for a while, but I've also learned this is a fight that Paddy's wanted for a while because you defeated Chris Fishgold, his training partner, what, four, four or five years ago?
0: Correct, yeah. Um, I fought him in Fight Island, and then as Paddy was getting signed to UFC, you know, interviewers were asking him like, "Who do you want to fight?" And he threw out a couple of names, and I was one of them. And you know, his, his reasoning was that he wanted to get you know that that loss back for his team, you know, or get that win back, whatever, however you word it. Um, so yeah, he you know called me out first. Like I wasn't thinking about him because you know I've already ha- I think at that point I had already eight or nine UFC fights. Um, so. Here we are, you know. He, he grew into the star that he is, and growing into even more. So, you know, it only makes sense. He is three zero now in the UFC, uh, and it put me on this big spot on this big card, and so it makes sense now.
2: And he said some things about you in interviews, but from the interviews I've watched, he's been mostly respectful, I would say, in terms of what you've gone through, uh, through your life and the work that you've done in terms of increasing mental health awareness, helping people um, with alcoholism. This is something that, of course, is close to him as well with Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of his recently committing suicide and him being very open about uh, men in particular being uh, cognizant of their mental health. So I feel like that commonality is a really kind of cool thing that bonds you together in this kind of a fight.
0: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, after I win, we'll become friends. Uh, I'm, you know, the guys that I've lost to, the guys that I've won against, we're all friendly, you know. And with that, you know, the mental health thing, you know, it's even more of a reason for us to, you know, to help other people together or, or, or to try to do something. So, I mean, you know, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But uh, I think, you know, as humans that uh, we'll always respect each other. And, uh, you know, this is just business and entertainment and uh it's just you know and i think it makes total sense for us to fight each other and and um show the world that two guys that have dealt with problems uh can do whatever they want and get to whatever point that they want to get to
2: people ask you in these interviews about pressure i've noticed that and i feel like battling uh, addiction on a day-to-day basis is probably more of a pressure to you than this kind of a situation would that be correct
0: Yeah, and, well, not even addiction as much as some of the other things that I've dealt with, but uh, I was facing 25 to life at uh, one point in Florida, and, you know, being shackled, uh, your hands to your feet, and walking on, like, a chain gang with, like, ten other guys into a court, and, uh, you know, waiting for the judge to tell you if you're going to prison for the rest of your life or not was a little more nerve-wracking than this. Uh, And then I I just recently, uh, I was talking to akamoto about how i fought charles oliveira, oliveira on the the same slot of the card that i was supposed to originally fight patty until we got moved up so it was the third to last fight on the main card i was fighting charles in brazil in sao paulo in his hometown walking out the whole place is telling me that i'm gonna die in, in portuguese and um waiting in the cage it took like 10 minutes for charles to walk out he did a whole show and so but i I you know, I lost that fight, obviously, um but I brought up a, a piece that was that came over me, and I still have brought that that feeling into my the fights that I had after that, and um I gained more from that fight than I would have if I won, I believe, uh just because of like the mental part was one. But I lost the physical battle in that fight, uh, so when he does his whole, you know, walkout, which is a very, uh, you know, impressive and fun walkout that Paddy does, you know, the whole show, um, I've already done this interview, and I know which holes I had I had to fix, and I fixed them so.
2: Can you elaborate on, there was one thing you said there You have a piece that you carry with you um, When you say piece, do you mean P-I-E-C-E or P-E-A-C-E? I was trying to No, of... yeah, it
0: was, a, it was a piece, like a, like a piece of like a serenity, okay. clarity mm-hmm. um, And, you know, it's just something I never experienced before until that night And, um, and I still have it And I, and I know how to uh, mimic that feeling and make it happen again
2: So what brought you that kind of piece? Because, I mean, obviously that was a tough loss, but then again Charles went on to become a a fantastic champion and went on that crazy run. Mm -hmm. So where did that piece come from that particular night? How did you get that?
0: Well, you know, when I was backstage and I knew what I was up against and uh, it just was something that happened, like, naturally. I I can't really explain it, but it was like um, something just came over me where I was like, well, you know. Um, let's go out there and just do this. And I wasn't too high. I wasn't too low feeling and, uh, being in the cage, I was just like, like waiting for him to come out. And so at the time I couldn't see it, but it was, it was a setup for this, you know? And then after I lost, I had to have, I had to have an orbital repair. I had a plate put in my face. Thank you, Charles. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was. It was the setup for this. Everything happens for a reason. Nothing is by coincidence. There is in anything. There's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time, or or luck, or right place, right time. Everything falls exactly the way it's supposed to fall in everyone's lives.
2: So your your lovely wife Christine is here, and I saw you took her shopping yesterday uh, on a bed. It seemed like that was a very dreadful situation for you, but she seemed to be having fun.
0: Yeah. um... <laughs> She was like, I was with, we were with like six other guys, and uh, she was like, this is my worst nightmare, going shopping with six dudes that do not want to be shopping right now. But he, she did have Jason Strout, who is like, thinks he's a fashionista. So he was like, no, that's ugly. No, that's, that's not, well, that's nice. And so like, uh, that's like her new shopping partner. So anytime she needs to shop, I'll just call Jason. Here's my my credit card. (laughs) Uh, take my wife shopping.
2: (laughs) Does that kind of stuff help you take your mind off of things during fight week?
0: Yeah, man. You know, and, um, it's like, I'm not just going to sit in the hotel room and, and just like count the minutes down. So being, having my wife here is, is so comforting and helps me so much. And, you know, being with my, my parents are coming. I have, I have a bunch of friends coming and, and family. And, uh, this is why we, why I do this, man. You know, this is like part of the dream you know is 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 enjoying these things with my family and friends, so
2: do you ever take yourself back to those days that were difficult or do you look at old mug shots or anything like that oh. just to, to center yourself
0: dude, I reminisce all the time, my wife hates it I'll be like, man, I love shooting cocaine or like oh I you know I used to do this or that or I used to like you know the things that I did uh or yeah, I'll look at pictures or we were looking at like my amateur uh, fighting pictures the other day and you know mixing with those photos were were like photos of you know when I was you know being a derelict and um Yeah, I constantly remember this because if I don't if I don't keep it up front You know and I get complacent I could end up back there So and I'm constantly reminded of it every day because of the amount of people that I help people come to me constantly strung out or you know Oh, this kid died and I was with him. What do I do? This recently just just happened to me like last week. Uh, And uh, look, there's one of them right there. (laughs) That's Christina's cousin, my cousin now, Nick. He just got out of treatment. He's sober. Kid was a fucking animal running around, beating people up, robbing people, smoking fentanyl or shooting fentanyl, whatever he was doing. Uh, And uh, now he's sober. And he's taking care of his grandfather who's sick. His grandmother just passed away and and this is like you know that's my Pieson. That's my uh you know, so this this is why I do this.
2: He's on FaceTime by the way if anybody's he's curious. He's not like hanging out he's here. He's not here the, <laughs> in the wings. They wouldn't let him in here. <laughs> So, uh, final question for you. I mean, obviously, a lot of people love to fight before the holiday season because they can enjoy it, but the Christmas has a different meaning to you. Uh, I think it was six years ago? Oh, yeah, uh, Or yeah. five years ago, you, you uh, had your overdose, last overdose. Yeah. was on Christmas Eve, if I Christmas recall. Christmas Eve, yeah. So, does, does that kind of thing ground you when you see Christmas decorations? Does it bring Man, you back to that, does I love Christmas. it just Christmas. you
0: gratitude? I love Christmas so much. Um, obviously, being, you know, since a ki- I was a kid, I loved Christmas. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I'll be seven years sober, uh, December twenty seventh. You know, I overdosed Christmas Eve. I got out of the hospital the next day. I I got high one more time, uh, naturally, and then <laughs> the next day I went away to, to get help. So that was my let la- you know my first day of not using. So yeah, I mean, these this time of year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, holds a special place in my heart, and uh, you know, it's a it's a time for me to. To be grateful, and to be there for for other people, and and try to make people's uh, holidays and lives better.
2: You're like my kids. You got the double dip on Hanukkah and Christmas. Man,
0: yeah, I would <laughs> I would be in you know potato latkes one day, <laughs> next day, I got like a bowl of brujol and pasta. You know.
2: Oh, there you go. Living your best life at that time as a kid. Yeah, uh, man. Congratulations, man, on this co-main event. Looking forward Thank to you. it, and best of luck on Saturday.
0: Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it.
2: We're here at the UFC Apex. We're in this very building. This man, Raul Roses Jr., became the youngest man at 17 years old to sign with the UFC. And now you're headlining the prelims on TSN in Canada. This is a big opportunity for you. What's it like to be back in this building?
4: Man, it feels great. Um, it's like I'm living the dream. So I'm blessed. And it just gets me excited, more excited for Saturday night.
2: Now, I watched this, the podcast that you did. I think it's called The Spitballers or something. It was like an hour long oh, podcast yeah, yeah. you were sitting in on. And you said that for your last weight cut you just drank water and ate tacos. So have you hired a dietitian yet? We got to we got to work on this.
4: Um I actually had a dietitian a uh, Fed up Kitchen for my last fight. Um so I shout out to them but uh for this fight I didn't have no dietitian. Um like I know the PI has some but I didn't use it cuz I I don't feel like I needed it. So like right now I like I just had lunch like an hour ago and I just had a, a two slices of pizza and some Chocolate chip cookies, and I feel great.
2: I mean, you you eat like an 18-year-old. You you still love the junk food.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Especially, like, in school. That that was hard about school. Um, Every time I would go to the cafeteria, Uh, the only good thing was pizza. Everything else wasn't that good. And, you know, like, my friends would bring bags of chips and, like, I was just eating chips.
2: <laughs> Well, I mean, people are going to think you're undisciplined when you say this kind of thing. But in that same interview, you talked about how your whole life is you wake up, you train, you sleep. You don't have anything that going on outside of uh, that in terms of, like, hobbies or anything like that. That's that's what your mentality is, just yeah. sleep, train, sleep, train.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's all I do. Like, I just train, sleep, and repeat. Like, that's all I do.
2: And you're still in high school, right?
4: Yeah, this is my senior year in high school after this. So hopefully, I graduate. There's
2: nobody who tries to be the big dog in the yard and come after you or anything like that? At high school? No, no, no. Okay, well that's good. Well that's good news (laughs) for them. Um, Now in terms of um, this particular fight, what do you know about your opponent, Jay Parrin?
4: Um, I don't know much about my opponent. Uh, I just know that he fights in the UFC, of course. But I'm gonna go out there and just get the job done and finish him.
2: You made your your pro debut like just over a year ago, back in November of last year. Yeah. So what's this year been like for you? I mean, here you are, you're in the UFC, like I said, ha- headlining the prelims on national television, internationally, really. Uh what's this like? like? What's this experience been like?
4: Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, I've been doing what I love, which is fighting. Um, I prefer to fight back-to-back. Like, I had to fight back-to-back for me to get here at this moment. And it's what I love because uh, training camps are so hard. And fighting is just like this week I get to relax. And, like, the other weeks I had to train hard, hard, hard. So, I like to fight because I get to relax, and it's just one guy. Like, on training camps, I, I, I get shark tank, and then I get a new fresh guy every minute, and, like, just, like, so tiring. So, right now, I just got one guy, which is easy, um, easier. So, like, that's why I like to fight back-to-back. Um, like, I, I was telling everybody, like, I'm going to fight this Saturday, but if someone wants to fight next Saturday, I'm down to fight next Saturday. Um, If I have to go up to 145 or catch way at 140, whatever, like I'm down for whatever. I'm here to fight.
2: Now, in that same interview, you talked about how you love fighting in front of a crowd. Obviously, the Apex doesn't have much of a crowd. Yeah. What's it going to be like for you? What kind of energy and how much different are we going to see of a Raul Rosas Jr. in front of a crowd sold out arena like the T-Mobile arena here in Las Vegas, really the capital for the UFC in terms of arenas?
4: more 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 i'm gonna be more excited because i'm a performer so like having the crowd there and you know hearing their expressions and everything like i'm gonna hype hype them up and um i'm gonna put on a show for them so i'm just excited to be able to hear like like when i like do something cool like like everybody get excited stand on their like stand on their feet and it's just gonna be amazing um i'm like a performer like i like to have fun with myself like like, um, the fights, but I also like to put on the show for the people, so it's just going to be amazing.
2: Your brother, I mean, he's kind of an old head at 20 years old, but I hear he's uh, trying to make a run at the UFC, In a year from now, do you think he's going to be uh, on this roster?
4: Yeah, I think in less than a year, he's going to be in the UFC with me, and it's going to be two brothers fighting on the same card in the UFC, like, we've been, um, we've both been champions in different organizations uh, at the same time, we've been fighting for the same time, and we have the same knowledge. Um, but it's just a little bit of different styles probably but we can um, adjust to any style so that's what makes us great and one day we're just gonna become UFC champions and we're gonna make history on that too.
2: I heard a social media team over there, and they always do this. They have a young guy. I did, they did this with Aaron Blanchfield. They're asking her questions about old, stuff old people know. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, what's a, what's a rotary telephone? What's this here? This is, what's, what's this called? You know, have you seen one of these before? It's a, digit, it's a disposable camera. I want you to ask me as a 40-year-old man, an old head, some questions that I wouldn't know as a young guy to, see, to make me feel... Like, I, I, should, uh, I should know the answers to these questions. So Because I, I feel bad when people put you in these situations. So I want you to put me in the uncomfortable situation. Ask, ask me something that, that, that young people know about that I would have no idea about.
4: Something that young people know.
2: Uh, and I've got three kids. So I have, like, some knowledge of kids. Stuff, yeah, but, you yeah. Know.
4: Um, I, I, the only thing I can tell you is, like, what the show that's uh, popping right now for the little kids, like the babies.
2: Okay, well, I can probably get that, too. What was what, that uh, TV show? I don't know, it's bluey. My kids love bluey.
4: That's one, that's one. But, but there's like one that like exploded for some reason.
2: Oh, that uh, young kids like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, dude. like babies, babies, babies. Oh, babies. Uh, like the baby shark?
4: No, 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 no. Okay. Th- that, that's old.
2: <laughs> no, tell me about something like 18-year-olds know.
4: Oh, 18-year-olds. Yeah, like something like oh, an 18-year-old. Oh, okay, okay. Not babies. I got babies. Oh, I, can, okay, I, can, I know okay, their okay. stuff. Well, it's because I, I was watching little babies, and they were watching this show, and <laughs> it was entertaining. Um it was called Coco though. Coco yeah, my, yeah, my yeah, kids yeah. watch that.
2: My kids watch that.
4: But um, that 18-year-olds know. Um, we don't know much. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any interest, any um,
2: video game stuff, any music stuff, stuff that I know a 40-year-old guy just would not know.
4: No, I can't. You got nothing, all
2: right. <laughs> I mean, he, this guy, like I said, this guy trains. He sleeps. He's yeah. not He's not listening to the Metro Boomin' album or anything like that. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank and you thank for you. doing this. And uh, best of luck on Saturday against Jay Perrin. Thank m- you. Look forward to seeing tons of your success in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks. A huge thank you to all of our guests, Jon Bojovic, Patty Pimba, Jared Gordon, and Raul Roses Jr. And to you, the listener, if you do have a chance, please go rate and review the show. Uh, five-star ratings do go a long way in terms of uh, people learning about the show and getting a chance to listen to it. If you have any feedback, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Aaron Bronstetter. All of my links are found at Aaron.Report and uh, tsm.za UFC for all of the -the on-the-scene UFC 282 coverage. I'll also be on SportsCenter this Saturday after the event to break it down. So until then, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN
1: MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.